0: that the gardening market is bullish, if you're not aware. Uh, The pandemic created 18.3 million gardeners. Any of you? Any of you? Gardeners, post pandemic? Okay, great. Um, 55% of American households now engage in gardening activities over the last couple of years. Um, You know, farming has... Uh, progressively decreased. It used to be 90% 200 years ago. It's fantastic news. Among the top five fresh market vegetables that are being produced are lettuce and onions and carrots and tomatoes, of course, and uh, pumpkins. According to the popular blog most of you follow called gardeningpals.com, the average garden yields about $600 of produce in a year. And Honestly, that one hurts. Because I know our garden did not uh, produce anything close to 600. Uh, a little deflated when I read that one. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, the teaching that we're in this morning uh, in John 15 is about a garden and about a gardener. And we're going to consider the invitation that Jesus gives to us uh, through this text in John 15. We're in a teaching series uh, in John, uh, the Gospel of John focusing in this kind of sub-series in John 14 through 16. These few chapters are so significant as we move into Jesus' last night before his arrest. And so we see in this time, he has drawn his disciples away from dinner, and they're now walking into a garden, which is meaningful even with this conversation. And he's going to supply them three things, comfort, comfort, courage and a call for dependence that he's inviting his disciples into as he knows in mere hours he's going to be arrested he's going to be betrayed he's going to be unjustly put on trial he's going to be beaten put to death and then the story only begins from there when he resurrects but again that comes in a few more weeks and so we're we're gaining wisdom from the wisest man to ever live I don't want to uh, miss how brilliant Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just one that gives guidance for salvation. There is no one more brilliant than the person of Jesus. And so when he speaks to us, it matters. As one who's not just a guru or someone who has some wisdom about some things, he is the wisest man to ever live and he provides some clarity. To us. And we're going to jump in in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says this I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruits. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It fast forwards to verse 8 and he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Let me pray for us. Father, as we enter into this text, I pray that you would awaken our imagination, awaken our longings to see you inviting us into the way of life and your perfect wisdom. I pray that you would guide, bring clarity, move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. He says, I am the true vine. This is the last of several I am statements that John has given to us. The bulk of them happened a few chapters ago, but this is the final one that we see here. And within it, he says, I am the vine. This vine imagery is incredibly common in this ancient world. Again, 55% of Americans garden Um, on this side of the pandemic, which can be dangerous where we pretend like we know stuff and we don't really know much at all. But this agricultural society that first heard the words of Jesus here were well aware of the dynamics of what Jesus was saying. He gives this gardening metaphor of a farmer, a vineyard, branches. Jesus doesn't make it confusing. It's pretty clear. He says that the father is the farmer or the gardener. He says that he, Jesus, is the vine, or another translation to that Greek word would be the vineyard. And then we are the branches. There's some basic principles given. Again, the farmer's uh, desire, his intention is to cause the the, the branches that he has, the, the plants that he have, has to produce the most amount of fruit. And so he's going to prune, he's going to care intentionally for these. These branches are, are connected to the vine, and if they're not connected to the vine, then they cannot produce fruit. Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, he says this in summary with, uh, with this text. He says, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing, Anyone who separates from me is Deadwood. This is how my Father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So I have three thoughts I want us to consider from this text this morning. The first is this. Abiding becomes an essential part of what it means to experience the life of Jesus. Abiding becomes an essential part in what it means to experience the life of Jesus. This, This word abide or remain, is used 11 times in John 15. 11 times, that's significant. Again, this word abide can be translated into remain, or stay, or... Hey, we're gonna gonna crush that. We're gonna make sure you know that we will never mess up those videos again, ever. (laughs) So again, remain, or stay, or dwell, or make your home in, abide in me, and I in you. In other words, make your home in me, and I make my home in you. Again, the final night, this important moment. Jesus uses this metaphor to communicate to his disciples the value of abiding with him, to abide In the first century, the language of discipleship and apprenticeship was pretty common. There was this this reality of rabbis who were teachers, and these teachers would um, become pretty brilliant on a subject matter, and then they would invite specific people to follow them. So you'd come along and you'd get to know a rabbi and he'd say, follow me. And you would then do everything the rabbi did. You'd learn how the rabbi ate and slept, how they did life. You would become like the rabbi. There was a phrase Um, that would be said to kind of summarize this idea of discipleship, to cover yourself in the dust of his feet and drink in his words thirstily. And so there's this idea in the first century Judaism that if you followed a disciple or uh, followed a rabbi, you would literally get the dust of them onto you. You would be so close in proximity with them that you would take on their dust. You would follow them in such a close way, this expression of covering, being covered with the dust of your rabbi was, uh, made sense in the context of, of dirt roads and following this rabbi. Covered in the dust of your rabbi. See, disciples were expected to follow their rabbi closely, intentionally, methodically, learning about how they lived and how they acted and how they functioned. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this word, abide. It's close proximity to our rabbi, close proximity to Jesus. See, the invitation of Jesus is not limited to raise your hand after a service to make sure you get into heaven. It's not uh, an independent life separate from Jesus. It's a dependent life abiding in Jesus See, an abiding life that bears fruit is what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus uses this imagery of abiding to help give a picture of what this vision of life that he's offering to us looks like. This reminder that abiding leads to fruit, and it proves what God has done in you. J.I. Packer says about abiding, he says, Abide is an old English word for remain. Stay steady and keep your position. What it means to abide in Christ, that is always to be resting on him, anchored to him, fixed in him, drawing from him, continually connected and in touch with him. It's a pervasive theme in chapters 14 through 17. There is no more precious lesson to learn, no more enriching link And bond to cherish, no more vital connection to keep snug and tight, so that it never loosens than this. Abiding in Christ brings peace, joy, and love. Answers to prayer and fruitfulness and service. The abiding life is the abundant life. The abiding life is the abundant life. See, abiding echoes the psalmist that says, I've Set my eyes always before you, Lord. Or what Paul said, set your mind on things above. Andrew Murray, he says this about this section of Scripture. During the life of Jesus on earth, the word he chiefly used when speaking of the relations of the disciples to himself was, follow me. When about to leave for heaven, he gave them a new word in which their more intimate and spiritual union with himself in glory should be expressed that chosen word was, abide in me. You know, at Sojourn, we have four distinctives. We want to be gospel-centered. We want to be um, contemplative. We want to be authentic. And we want to be missional. And that word contemplative, we, what we mean when we say that is we want to slow down to be with Jesus. In other words, that word contemplative means we want to be a people who abide. To be with Jesus. And again, he didn't just invite us into a life that's void of him. He invited us into a relationship with him where we abide and learn about him, where the dust of himself comes on us, if you will. Abiding becomes an essential part of what it means to experience the life of Jesus. The second thing we see in this text is that Jesus prepares us for the necessity of pruning. We don't like this part. I don't like this part. None of us like this part. Jesus prepares us for the necessity of pruning. In John 15, 2, again, we'll go back to it. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Everybody say prunes. Prunes. He prunes. I know some of you didn't say that because you're like, if I don't say it, it's not going to happen to me. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Again, we've been dipping our toe into this uh, gardening life, if you will. Uh, we have one raised bed, and guys, we're thinking about making a second. And so we're working on two raised beds. We've learned how to kill plants. Um, we're learning how to sustain them. And in time, we're going to learn how to produce $600 in fruit and vegetables. That's the dream we have. So to become a gardener, you must learn the arts of gardening, and this is not a master class, trust me, Um, but you, you need to learn organic matter for sure. You have to use organic matter, but you can't let it grow organically. Nothing that grows organically, meaning just on its own, will actually produce the yield of fruit that it was designed to produce. It takes intentionality and care from the gardener for the plant to yield fruit, Without such intention, the plant will overproduce foliage and fruit will not come. It takes intentionality. You have to watch the plant grow. You have to see when too many buds come. And then you have to pinch off the suckers. You might ask, what is a sucker? Let me tell you. There a, there's a, a, should be a picture right here. This is a tomato plant. And so if you look middle left, there's a, there's a word that says sucker. And so... This is a small plant, that, uh, The small part of the, this is, this is where you're going to realize I actually know nothing about gardening. <laughs> There's a stem that comes up from the source that you have to pinch off. And if you don't pinch that off, then it will actually take from the life of the plant and the potential of its fruit. You have to be methodical as a gardener to make sure you care for the plant in that way. When you think about a vineyard, when you think about a grape vine, which I know nothing of, I know really nothing of this, but I know enough to be dangerous again. But the actual pruning comes at the end of the season where you cut it back a pretty substantial amount. And in doing that, it resets and strengthens the vine. It shapes the vine over the long term to help it produce fruits. See, the gardener. The Father, Jesus tells us, prunes to produce fruit. See, Jesus' vision for your life is that you would grow in being with him. You would learn the life-altering value of experiencing and growing in him. And that you would become like him. That you would be formed into his image and so, pruning is a necessary part of becoming like Jesus. So, let's talk about pruning. Pruning is more than suffering and trials, but it's not less than suffering and trials. We can see pruning as punitive, we can see pruning as harsh. We are so accustomed, if we're honest, to value comfort that we don't like to feel uncomfortable, we don't like not getting what we want having our expectations come to reality. But studies around deep transformation as followers of Jesus, um, there's been many studies about this, and they've kind of landed in three primary ways where you experience the deepest amount of transformation. The first is just through teaching and practices. How important teaching uh, and, and learning the scripture and learning practices that shape who we are. The second would be community, deep Relationships are imperative for transformation. The third is suffering. Suffering will do something in us that nothing else can. So Jesus is reminding his disciples that difficulties will come and they will forge something in you if you abide in the vine. There's something spectacular that can happen over the long haul and never feels Spectacular in the moment. It's painful. It feels like a death. But over time, there's something that happens that forges and shapes who we are. Trials and hardship, yes, will come. We don't have a palette for hardship and trials to come. But man, for our good, the gardener either will cause it or rain will come or wind will come and he'll use it to bring about fruit. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, speaks to this. I'd love to read it with you. Hebrews 12, 5, it says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Just pause there for a second. We, on the receiving end of discipline, it never feels like love. But if you're a parent and you love your kid and you wanna make sure they don't run in the street, and you wanna make sure they don't hurt themselves, you do certain things that don't feel loving in and of themselves from your child's perspective, but oftentimes is deeply motivated in love. Parents understand this, right? We experience this. And in the same way, that's how God interacts with us. It is for, he goes on, it is for the discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more? Be subject to the Father of spirits and live, for they are disciplined, for they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The author of Hebrews is telling us the same thing that that John's telling us that Jesus said, that he prunes and it produces fruit. See, the invitation here about pruning is an invitation to liberation. So whether it's the gardener, again, actively shaping or using certain elements, he uses all these things to mold and shape us. See, pruning is liberation. Suffering is a primary space. For transformation. See, what pruning does is it exposes idols. What pruning does is it exposes attachments that we have. What pruning does is it exposes areas of control we have in our life, expectations that we have of our life. And we cling to those things and pruning opens our hands off of those things and causes us to surrender and trust God with our life. So you can't really grow spiritually and with, without turning away from idols and certain attachments. And you can't find freedom from those things until you learn what they are. Pruning helps us to cling to Jesus in a beautiful way. There's a stage theory called The Critical Journey. I've talked about it before. I'll talk about it again. Um, That has been helpful for many, including myself. It came out of Fuller Seminary. But it lays out a journey of faith. It's not linear, but it's six stages. You can throw the picture up uh, on the screen. Those first three stages, uh, starting at the top at the noon hour, if you will, Stage one is is recognition of God. It's that moment of awakening. It's that moment of regeneration, of of simple faith in God. The second stage is a life of discipleship. It's that beginning journey of of seeing that there are some elements of faith that lead to practices like studying the scripture and praying and gathering in community and so forth. The third stage is a productive life. It's producing fruit. You begin to see positive things in your life as you um, submit to to Jesus. And then stage four is what this calls the journey inward. And it's tied together with, if you see it about 630 o'clock, uh, this thing called the wall. The wall. Again, this is not linear. But what we find is that in uh, they're studying these, uh, we, they discovered that most Christians in the West stay in these first three stages and never go deeper than those. Once that wall is hit, pruning, trial, loss, death, betrayal, I mean we can just go on, right? These moments of unmet expectations, the punches in the face, oftentimes in those moments we choose to just suppress, put on the mask, pretend, live an angry life, frustrated life, suppressing And the invitation of Jesus is to learn how to navigate through the wall. We could spend a lot more time on this. It's not for this morning. But to go through the wall and see that these moments of pruning are actually designed to produce growth in a way that might feel painful but is, in fact, beautiful. So Jesus prepares us for the necessity of pruning. Third thing from this text is this simple statement that abiding leads to fruit? Abiding leads to fruit. In John 15:8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He says, Bear fruit, proving to be my disciples. We could spend a whole morning on this one verse. The goal in the Christian life is to grow as apprentices, as disciples of Jesus, and exemplify that we are following him. But here's the point, that whatever we abide in will determine the fruit of our lives, for good or for ill. We are all abiding in something. All of us are being formed by something. The question is, what is the thing that we are being formed by? What are we abiding in? If you are rooted in the infinite scroll of social media, It will be fruit of anger or arrogance or comparison or distraction. If we're rooted in the endless queue of our streaming platforms of choice, it'll form us to be a people, if we're not careful, of lust, restlessness, boredom, rarely present. If we're rooted in a pursuit of hedonism, Ignoring our reality to try to take off the edge, if you will. Another drink, a little more gambling. It'll make us, what's the fruit? Compulsive, addictive, running from pain and avoiding the healing that's offered to us. And if we find ourselves abiding in Jesus, surrendering and dependent upon Jesus over time, we'll experience the fruit of Jesus. See, abiding leads to fruit. The picture is clear. As we grow in dependence with the vineyard, we find the life of the vineyard producing fruit within us. This is not something we stumble into. This isn't something we earn, but it does take effort. Practices that Jesus offers to us lead to the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul takes this idea of abiding, and his letter to the church in Galatia. In Galatians, the letter we have in the New Testament. This passage can be misread in Galatians chapter 5. There can be a twist as a list of commands, and that's not at all what Paul was trying to highlight for us in Galatians. What he says, I'll say this the heart is that abiding in Jesus, walking in the Spirit, leads to fruit. Abiding leads to fruit. There's nine symptoms of someone who is abiding with Jesus. And these are the nine symptoms. In Galatians 5, 22, he says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are Nine symptoms of abiding with Jesus. It's not a command that i got to work hard enough to be loving or joyful. It's simply a fruit of abiding with Jesus. Paul echoes this. He says, walk in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit or abide in the vine. So how does an apple tree make an apple? The, the branch abides in the vine. How does an apprentice of Jesus produce the fruit of the spirits? We abide in the vine. See, abiding leads to fruit. And fruitfulness is the goal of a follower of Jesus. By this, he says, my father is glorified that we bear fruit and prove to be his disciples. So the invitation is to learn to be with Jesus. Jesus. The invitation is to see that your salvation is not just about getting you to heaven, though that's a part of the beauty and the complexity of the gospel. It is also on this side of heaven an invitation to experience the life of Jesus here and now. The invitation is not solely future. It is now and not yet. To make your home in him as he makes his home. You. So, I have to ask as we close, where is your home? Where is your emotional home? Where do you return in quiet moments? John Mark Homer references ways people have said this word abiding before. He says it references how Paul says, pray without ceasing, a heart posture of abiding. St. John of the Cross said, remain in loving attention to God. A.W. Tozer called it. Habitual, conscious communion. Dallas Willard loved to call it the with God life. And Brother Lawrence, who was a a dishwasher, he chose to value moments as holy moments. And so as he would wash dishes, he would practice the presence of God, seeing that all of life was holy. Holy. I think it's a part of shifting our understanding about life and this invitation of abiding. That it's not sacred secular. It's not I come to church and I worship God and then I go about my week. But it's seeing that God is inviting every one of your moments in life to become holy moments. That as you change diapers and as you work on spreadsheets and as you prepare for presentations, And as you do the different things that you do, that we're designed to, we're invited to be in two places at once. To be doing those things and being with Jesus as you set up your budget for the month or the year. It's not you just figuring it out, but it's inviting Jesus to say, is there areas here of generosity or areas here in my life that you're inviting me into? He wants his dust on you. He wants to abide with you. To make your home in me as I make my home in you. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And we are grafted into the vineyard to produce fruit. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus invites us into that together, my friends. We are invited into a place the night before he died. As they move into this garden, and we're going to spend some time there in the coming weeks as he sits in this garden, maybe even looking at a vineyard off in the distance, talking to his disciples and saying, you are invited to abide with me. And it's here that we find life. This is how we find abundant life. And abiding in him. Amen. Father, we thank you. You are the gardener. You are the one in in charge of our lives. At times you discipline. At times you use things. And Lord, we confess at times we hate it. And Lord, in the same breath, we want to trust you with our lives. Trust that you are at work. You're creating a story that's bigger than our moment. And we want to be a part of it. So Lord, we thank you for this invitation. I pray you'd help my friends. Help us to be a people who learn to... Abide, to trust, to remember who you are, to remember that you hold all things together, to remember to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, to remember that we are not in control, to remember that our illusion of the best life oftentimes is not in line with your vision for our life. Help us to trust your vision over our vision. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those that are administering the elements, you can come on up.